Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church Podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Good morning, everyone. It is good to be with you in worship today, and good morning to all of you who are with us online, worshiping and tuning in from many different locations. And I just want to say a special good morning and welcome to a pretty girl watching from a soccer field, a soccer tournament in Dallas, Texas. The love of my life, happy 18th anniversary today. And if you applaud for 18 years, I think you need to applaud even louder for Pastor Joe Scruggs and his dear bride, Margie, celebrating their 50th anniversary this weekend. Yeah, come on. Yeah, that's, that's worthy. Um, there's many times that I've asked Pastor Joe, how's sweet Margie doing? And he says the same thing every time. She's doing pretty well today considering who she's married to. (laughs) But speaking of my 18 years of marriage to my beloved Andrea, throughout our entire marriage, I cannot explain to you how grateful the both of us have been to experience the love and community and fellowship of a small group. Uh, Community is vitally important to our spiritual lives. These small groups are a place to learn and to grow with one another. It's a place where we find our accountability. It's a place to cry together, to laugh together, and to practice vulnerability. And vulnerability is growing more and more important in today's culture that allows us to really remain at a surface level or superficial level when it comes to our relationships with one another. So before you internally resist the idea of vulnerability, let me just read to you how Dr. Brene Brown describes it. She says, it is uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. It is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, and empathy. That's vulnerability. So if you are not in a small group, I dare you to join one. And you can thank us later. We're in Romans chapter 12 today. As you turn there, let me give you the main idea of this passage. Through the gospel, God has compassionately transformed believers from enemies in rebellion against Him. Remember, Scripture says, while you were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, He transforms us to become His sons and daughters who are at peace with Him. And in light of this transformation, the thinking and the behavior of God's people stands in stark contrast to the world that we live in. 12 verse 1, therefore I urge you, 
brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, you've heard this before in this series. When we see a therefore in Scripture, we ought to look into what it's there for. This begins a new major section of this letter, therefore, connects 12, 1, and 2 with what proceeds in 321 to 1136, which is a basic framework for our understanding of sin and salvation and sanctification and the sovereignty of God. Romans 12 is essentially where Paul says, in light of what God has done, this is then how we should live. And we can only live that way in view of God's mercy. The appeal to live in the way that Paul's going to describe does not come from our own strength and our own ability, but it comes through God's compassionate actions. God's mercy is the foundation of this appeal. So in view of God's mercy, we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. The word here for offer is not suggesting that we offer ourselves to God one time at the moment of conversion. Here I am, God. But instead, the verb indicates a consistent action, a daily occurrence, maybe hourly occurrence of offering ourselves to God. Oswald Chambers elaborates, we have the idea that we can dedicate our gifts to God, however, You cannot dedicate what is not yours. There is actually only one thing that you can dedicate to God, and that is your right to yourself. If you give God your right to yourself, he will make a holy experiment out of you, and his experiments always succeed. Don't you love that language there? A holy experiment. Offering, as we see in the Old Testament, commonly implied the slaughtering of animals at a religious ritual intended to please God. But here, Paul envisions a sacrifice that is not dying, as we would imagine a sacrifice would, but a sacrifice that is actually going from death to life. So in the Old Testament, a sacrifice always accompanied worship But the new covenant changes everything. The Bible isn't calling us to make a sacrifice. The Bible is not calling you to make a sacrifice. The the Bible is calling you to be a sacrifice. Look at somebody next to you really quickly and say, be a sacrifice. Now do it again with the emphasis on the be. Be a sacrifice. To be a living sacrifice isn't just getting on the altar, but staying there. When you consider the vine and the branch and that abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not just being connected, but it's remaining. So to be a living sacrifice is not just saying, I'm on the altar, here I am, Lord, but it's choosing to stay there. Will we fall short? Absolutely. 
Over the course of our entire life, will we fall off the altar? You bet. It's called sin. It's called depravity. It's called the human condition. However, as people who walk in the light, as people who walk in step with the Holy Spirit, we know when we're off the altar. We know it. And so we choose right then and there to get back on it. This is beautifully described in a sermon given by Fred Craddock. He said, to give my life for Christ appears glorious. To pay the ultimate price of martyrdom, I'll do it. I'm ready. Lord, I will go out in a blaze of glory. However, we think our, call, our all to the Lord is like taking a $1,000 bill and laying it on the table. Here's my life. Lord, I'm giving it all to you. But the reality for most of us is that he sends us to the bank and has us cash in the $1,000 for quarters. We go through life putting out 25 cents at a time. Usually giving our life to Christ is not glorious. It's done in little acts of love. 25 cents at a time. And he finishes by saying it would be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It is harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. You agree? You agree? All right, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The person who has truly sacrificed himself or herself to God will be distinguished by one overriding characteristic that informs the rest of life, and that characteristic is an unwillingness to be conformed to the pattern of this world. Now, that's how the NIV translates this passage. But in the Greek text, we discover something a little different. It says in Romans 12:2, do not be conformed to not the patterns of this world, but this age. This age. Age. Carrying with it a sense of beliefs and philosophies and practices of the fallen world that you and I live in. Elsewhere, Paul says that Christ came to deliver us from the present evil age, Galatians 1.4, and that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to the gospel, 2 Corinthians 4.4. He warns believers against being deceived into measuring true wisdom by the standards of this age, 1 Corinthians 3.18, and from 1 John 5.19, we know that this age is a dangerous place as the world is under the control of the evil one. This age. How evil, just how evil can an age in time actually be? Answering that question is impossible. But consider this. There was a time in history in which the values and systems of this world were so blinded by Satan that they actually killed Jesus Christ. There's the answer to me. How evil can 
one age and time actually be? I, I don't know. But there was a time when the values and the systems of this world were so blinded by Satan that they killed the Messiah. I'd call that evil. So how would this have challenged Paul's original audience, the residents of Rome? Pay attention, because after we talk about his original audience, we'll shift and focus on our age. Being conformed to their age meant participating in the pagan religious system of that day. Perhaps you've seen a picture of the Roman pantheon, originally commissioned by Marcus Agrippa in the first century B.C. After a fire, it was eventually rebuilt and dedicated as a temple and as a place of sacrifice to all the Roman gods. Pantheon is a Greek adjective meaning honor all gods. And that is exactly what the people did there. They came to honor all the gods. So Paul is pleading in this text, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you inadvertently fit in. Be careful because the world is full of superficial values and customs, fleeting satisfactions, empty promises, and false gods. The world is full of them. To prove this point, at our leadership team meeting the other night, Mike Geese led our devotion, and he shared an article titled, Pastors Identify Modern-Day Idols. I was not interviewed for this article. Just want to make that known. But a thousand Protestant pastors were surveyed. And here's the question that this asked. What modern-day idols have significant influence in churches in the United States? What modern-day idols have significant influence in churches in the United States? Number one, comfort. Number one is comfort. Number two, control. Does that pretty much sum up the entire room? Number three, money. Number four, approval. Number five, success. Followed by social influence, political power, sex, and romantic love. In the article, listen to what Scott McConnell, the executive director of LifeWay Research, says. It's easy to think that those in Christian churches have chosen their God and are faithful to Him. However, pastors quickly acknowledge how divided their congregation's allegiances can be. These gods don't have a physical shrine but they compete for the hearts of Christians. Here's another God, lowercase God, that competes with our hearts. You Samsung people, just go with me. You are not holier 
than the Apple people. This can be one of the greatest distractions from a vibrant, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And the majority of us in this room didn't even grow up with them in our hands. And look what they've done to our lives. So young people, listen up. They're not everything you think they are. They can be very, very dangerous. So here's a question for you. How is our God time in comparison with our screen time? And Apple makes it convenient for you. You can actually go on and look up your screen time if you want to live in conviction. You can go see how long that thing is in your hand each and every day. And I give you permission to subtract the amount of time you're using it for work. No problem. You're earning a wage, using a device. No big deal. But early in the morning and late in the evening, how is your God time in relation to your screen time? How ironic that an apple caused so much trouble (laughs) in the early age. And now it continues in our age as well. Listen, our enemy hates that you love Jesus. In fact, that makes you our enemy's enemy. And Jesus warns us that his intent is to steal from you and kill you and destroy you. If that doesn't get your attention, I don't know what will. His strategies are amazingly not even violent in nature, right? That's combative Uh, military language, I'm going to defeat you, kill you, destroy you, yet the enemy's strategy is not very violent. Comfort, control, money, approval, success. My friends, we have to resist the pressure to conform morally, intellectually, emotionally, behaviorally. When we don't, we not only harm ourselves, but we also harm our ministry in the world around us. Brennan Manning once said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, and then they walk out the door and they deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Not conforming to this age requires transformation, which is accomplished through the renewing of our minds. So if we need our minds renewed, let's quickly acknowledge that we have a mind problem. Falling short of omniscience is not our problem. Our problem is that we are fallen. We have a spirit of the mind that is hostile to the absolute supremacy of God. Our minds fall short of seeing God as infinitely more worthy of praise than we are. Romans 1.23, 
challenges us that we have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. I'm going to go out on a limb right now and suggest that the image we worship the most is the image in the mirror. In 1 Peter, we're told to prepare our minds. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Whether it's ignorance or willful suppression of the truth, we can all easily become enslaved to our passions and our desires. I could have all of the comfort, all of the control, all of the money, all of the success, all of the approval, and all of everything else that I ever want and still not be transformed into his likeness. Thus, I have nothing. I could have all and still have nothing. To close, everybody okay? (laughs) To close, the Greek word for the ongoing repetitive nature of renewal, this ongoing repetitive occurrence of offering ourselves to God is where we get our word metamorphosis. This is total transformation, including a total change of appearance, a total change of character, a total change of condition, a total change of function. This is renewal. But how do we access this renewed mind so that we can experience transformation. To start, we were alive fully on the Holy Spirit. In Titus 3.5, we read that God saves us, not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of His, back to Romans 12.2, mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. We are radically dependent on the Holy Spirit for a renewed mind. And then, my friends, we do our part. We study our Bibles rigorously from cover to cover. We pray and pray and then pray more. We form habits of meditation and memorization of Scripture. We ponder the writings of spiritual leaders before our time. We prioritize healthy relationships and friendships. We watch appropriate things on television. We discern what is true with the help of the Spirit and reject what is a lie. And lastly, we prioritize rest. All of these things have an impact on the renewal of your mind. The thought haunts me of the Holy Spirit ever saying to me, Adam, I am trying to renew your mind. Why are you not getting on board? You asked for it. I'm here to give it to you. But when I'm trying to renew your mind, you're scrolling. We got to take good care of our minds following the pathway of Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, 
whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is the renewed mind of a living sacrifice. Those who get on that altar and stay there. But when you trip and fall, the Holy Spirit convicts you. You know you're off the altar. Hop back on. Amen? Gracious Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you how some days it encourages us and lifts us up, and other days it challenges us and prunes us. For whatever ways your word is taking root in our hearts today, we say thank you. Lord, I think many of us are aware right now, because your spirit has prompted it in our minds, many of us are aware this exact moment of something in our lives that is interfering with the renewing work that your Holy Spirit is doing. Reveal those things to us, not only so that we are aware of them, but also so that we can pull them on the altar with us, so that we can be a living sacrifice. And Holy Spirit, church, if you're comfortable, just stretch out your hands, just as if someone's giving you a gift today. Holy Spirit, we ask for transformation through the renewal of our minds. Many of us today are anxious, depressed, fearful, and afraid. Many of us are doing all we can to cling to hope, but it seems fleeting. Our minds race all day long. Help us to slow them down long enough to see what you want to do and then to submit to that. Transform us. Renew us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We stand and worship. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.